Welcome to Copper Country Today, Houghton Community Broadcasting's weekly look at the issues and people that are important to the Keweenaw. This morning, we'll meet the Keweenaw Outdoor Recreation Coalition, bringing multiple outdoor sports groups together for the common good. And we'll learn about Dial Help's Victim Services Program and how you might be able to lend a hand with that. And our special series on addiction in the Copper Country continues. Copper Country Today is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. It's just ahead. Stay tuned. When our community is in need, the Portage Health Foundation is here to answer the call. In 2018, we were here on the front lines helping homeowners get their lives back. And now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're right here with the many nonprofits who help serve our community. We've provided funding to Senior Meals, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, and 31 Backpacks. We launched a Wi-Fi hotspot network to help families stay connected, and we have much more planned. If you want to donate to help our community's recovery, visit phfgive.org slash COVID-19 or call 523-5920. Good Sunday morning and welcome to segment one of Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation, our series on addiction in the Keweenaw, medical treatment for addiction. That's our focus this morning. That will be continuing later on in the program. We're going to turn our attention outdoors as we start things off here. A new organization, well, it's not quite new, but it was founded uh, late last year has attempted to bring together a lot of diverse outdoor interests in the Copper Country so that we can have uh, perhaps a little bit more effort working on behalf of the general good. And I am pleased to welcome in uh, from the Keweenaw Outdoor Recreation Coalition, the Executive Director, Jim Vivian, and Gina Nicholas, who is one of those who is uh, involved in this as well. Gina is... Hang on, I've got the, let me check my notes here. Gina is the president of the Keweenaw Community Forest Company. What is the Keweenaw Community Forest Company? Um, it's a not-for-profit corporation, and Cork is um, using some of our resources. So I'm basically an officer of Cork, but Cork is a standalone um, entity. It's a DBA, a registered Michigan DBA, um, that is, focus specifically on, I think, some of the things that Jim's going to tell you about. Jim, why did you see the need, or why did others see the need, to start this organization, this coalition? The organization was uh, put together by uh, a large group of uh, residents and landowners from uh, Kewana County that have been working on the same thing, but from different angles, and which is to acquire land for various uh, forms of recreation, conservation, uh, and the outdoor activities that brings everybody uh, up here and the residents uh, enjoy as well. So we're looking at combining all of the organizations with a single message of obtaining lands and managing lands in the Keweenaw for generations to come. And we're just getting everybody in so we can have a strong voice to uh, bring to the state to get support to obtain funding from various sources to obtain the land and manage the land. To add a little bit to what Jim just said, it's, we all share the love of the outdoors of Keweenaw. And for many, many years, our land base has been owned by absentee owners, and they're mostly just investment firms that are in it for financial reasons and they are not here and they don't love the land the way we do. And we realize that if we don't find a way locally in Keweenaw County to protect our land base for outdoor recreation and conservation, we're going to lose it and our children and grandchildren are going to lose it forever. So we said, you know, we have more in common, whether we're ATV club or hunters or fishermen or conservationists or berry pickers, Wherever we are, we have more together by working together than we do if we lose it by being fragmented. And that was sort of part of the motivation. Yeah, I'm looking down your steering committee here, and I'm seeing representatives from pretty much every potential usage of our outdoors here. I see the Calumet Keweenaw Sportsman's Club, the various trails club, uh, parks committees, uh, the Michigan Trails Advisory Board, the Keweenaw Land Trust, uh, the ATV Club, uh, 
all sorts of different organizations. And I'm looking at that wondering if there are times when those organizations perhaps work at cross interests. Uh, there are organizations who like motorized outdoor sports. There are organizations who promote our silent outdoor sports. Are there times when these have uh, groups have come into conflict in the past? Well, how do you... Perhaps in the past, but I think what we're realizing now is Keelana has room for everyone, and we want to have a place outdoors for everyone. And more and more people are realizing we need designated trails for motorized, you know, uh, people. We need dedicated trails for mountain bikers. We need places for hikers. We need places where people can hunt safely, and we need places where people can just bird watch or berry pick or go have a picnic safely, we have enough land if we just can kind of collectively secure it and then manage it together. The theory would be that a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Very, very well said. Uh, And I really haven't, I've heard conflicts in the past, but I'm a kayaker. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisher. I'm a biker. I sail boats i ski downhill cross country snowshoe i i kind of utilize the q and all all year round right now i'm looking at a patch of thimbleberries that uh, when we get done i'm going to fill up a bag oh you're going to bring uh, me some aren't you well there you go (laughs) plenty to share love me some so I've, i've been involved with uh uh a founding member of the ATV club. I was a founding member of the uh, Q on a water waste. Uh, water trail. Water trail. And everybody is that loves the land is using the land. And it's there's been some conflicts, but we, and sitting down and with the steering committee, everybody's on the same page. If we don't get involved with obtaining land and managing the land, we're going to lose the opportunities that uh, what we enjoy. What we enjoy, our quality of life. Well, and your uh, and your point, yeah, and your point is well taken. Not everybody is simply in one camp: silent sports versus motorsports, that kind of thing. There are people like yourself, as you explained, that do all sorts of these different things, and we do need to have room for everybody here. And not only because we like to use this land, but because it's it's critical to our economy. Tourism is a big deal here. It is our economy in Keweenaw County, and I think that the better we can secure, you know, the comprehensive trail systems and um, camping and things like that, amenities for people, the better we can deal with the fact that, you know, in the last 50 years, the population of the United States has doubled, and everybody wants to go somewhere, and we need to make it nice for them to come here and at the same time conserve what we have. I think one thing that's super important to me is that we are, the Keweenaw is unique in the world. We have unique geology. We have unique habitats. We're a wonderful migratory corridor for birds and bats and monarch butterflies. And there's so much here that's so rich that if we can take care of it, we can share it with more people. And I think that's what Cork is trying to do. Well, and I think that's critical because on one hand, we certainly would like more people to come and take advantage of what we have to offer here. That powers our our, our tourism business, our motels, our hotels, our restaurants, and other shops, and that in turn powers a lot of our other business here in the community. But we don't necessarily want to be overrun with those folks and lose control of things, do we? No, and Todd, you know, one of the things that I think is important about what Cork's doing right now is, like, we're a pragmatic group. So we started out, you know, like letting people know we're out here and asking people to join and send in donations. But what are we doing right now? We're doing practical things. So one of the first things we realized is the High Rock Bay that's owned by so many people visiting. There are no toilets out there. There are no trash facilities out there. The DNR doesn't have the resources to take care of it as well as it needs to be taken care of. So we approached them and said, 
can we help you? Can we work with you? And they said, sure. So Cork's going to be putting um, trash facilities out there. Keweenaw County told us, you know, Gratiot River Park, they've just put in and installed some really nice amenities and improved the, the visitor experience, but they needed some help with match. So um, Jim can tell you more about what just happened with helping Keweenaw County. Yeah, because with that uh, initial ask, we uh, we put a letter out there to all of the uh, property owners in Kewana County, explaining to them what Cork is about, what we're doing, and that half of the proceeds that we generate are going towards supporting uh, that match at uh, the Gratiot River Park, and we're able to uh, cut a check to uh, Kewana County for five thousand eight hundred fifty-one dollars to uh, go towards the improvements at uh, the river. Well, so, and, and that, uh, again, it, it provides more access, but it also keeps the land in better shape because if you've got the facilities there for people to use, things don't get trampled over and have litter thrown all over them. Well, I, I got to throw one more in, Todd, because this may be important to a lot of people. We were approached by a lot of people that every year, they, they're local people. They bring their families out and they camp out at Schlaughter Lake. And they told us that the road on the west side of Schlaughter was in terrible shape and could pork help with that. And we, again, we went to our partners at the state, to the DNR, and we said, can we do this if we, you know, uh, can bring the resources to bear can we repair this road right now and sure enough with the dnr and with our partners people in the atv club local contractors that road's getting fixed as we speak so next year when those people go camping they won't bottom out and ruin their their vehicles that's good news. I'm talking with Jim Vivian and Gina Nicholas from the Keweenaw Outdoor Recreation Coalition, K-O-R-C, or CORC, as uh, you've heard it referred to. It is an organization of people and groups that is looking to fine-tune and increase our investment in land for public use here in the Keweenaw. The question then becomes, how much of your resources are going to go towards enhancing use of existing properties and how much is going to go toward purchase of new properties we're going to put a lot of sweat equity right now into purchasing new property because we really want the state to decide to invest in more property and expand the holdings that they already have on the Keweenaw tip oh i've so looked at the covid19 ravaged budget <laughs> <laughs> that, good luck with that, yeah. unfortunately. Well, no, it's, it's, but it's like you can't, you know, like it's a big project and you can't think things are going to happen overnight. But you know, if you keep working at things, you can eventually get some good things to happen. Sure. So our land is owned by an investment firm, a hedge fund complex based in Boston and New York. And they want to get rid of the land. And so if we don't buy it, who is going to buy it? Well, we are not actually purchasing it. We are working with the state to encourage the state to acquire additional acreage adjacent to the Keweenaw Tip, where a lot of the trail systems are and where there's a lot of recreational opportunities for everyone. So our big push is to get members and work with the state and help the state create Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund proposals so that the state actually acquires the land and holds the land for all of us. So when we talk about big things, we're talking about the state. There may be some inholdings that we'll do ourselves and gift to the state, but we're working with the state. And I think that's super important for everyone to understand. It's, it's for everyone. It's not us as a private group trying to take it over. Okay, so then you would continue to partner with the state then perhaps down the road in terms of providing some additional funding to develop those sites? Yes, and, you know, helping with things that are needed like field work and appraisals and um, possibly surveys, possibly other things that, that will help with the acquisition. But then, yes, a big part of it is to help manage the amenities and to create new amenities so that people have a better experience, 
the land is treated as well as possible, and everybody has a place to enjoy whatever form of outdoor recreation they enjoy. That's within reason, of course. So where is the money coming from? You mentioned you have some partners who have contributed in certain instances, but where, by and large, is your funding going to going to originate? It comes from all over, and we're a grassroots organization, and we have many, many hundreds of donations between 20 and $500. You know, that's what we're doing. We're getting the word out, and people that believe in our mission are joining. Um, we have received some a few big donations, and I don't know how much we want to say about that. I'll leave it to you. Well, we'll... Uh... We'll share that information uh, with uh, future uh, press releases, but we do have some uh, rather large uh, donations that uh, have come in and, and more that are coming. And these the, the funds that we've raised so far have all gone back into uh, promoting what we're doing, what we're about, and how people can help support the q and Outdoor Recreation Coalition. So we're looking at, right now, uh, we have... Uh, four trash bins on order that we're going to install at High Rock, which is has been greatly needed for many years. We also have pit toilets, uh, not pit toilets, but uh, vault toilets that uh, we're working to uh, install with a permit from the DNR. Uh, and the road uh, work that uh, we're doing is permitted and supported by the DNR. So we're we're partnering with the DNR. We want them to know that we're here to help you do what uh, brings everybody up here. It's uh, improve the outdoor uh, uh, areas that people enjoy. Before so we're really reinvesting most of our money in projects and some of our money in outreach. And we really appreciate you taking us on today to help with our outreach because we need, we need thousands and thousands of people to join us because that's what the state, you know, when you think about Lansing and where the population is, it's down there. But the more people that join Cork, no matter where they live, the more it brings attention to Keweenaw, and that's what we're about, Keweenaw County. Oh, and that also makes us look a whole lot better if you're applying for grants. Grant donors love to give to large community-based organizations. The more people that you have behind you, the better your chances of getting some grants that might help with this. Exactly, exactly. So before I let this get away from me, how do people get involved with the Keweenaw Outdoor Recreation Coalition? So we have a website. Uh, you can go online, search on CORC, K-O-R-C, Keweenaw. Uh, it's the KeweenawOutdoorRecreation.org. Uh, we have uh, membership envelopes all throughout the, the Keweenaw. Uh, down in uh, Houghton, there's... Uh, at the bike shops, you'll find our uh, our envelopes. You can go online uh, to fill out a membership uh, form and send it in. Uh, we're in the process of having an online uh, uh, membership form that you can donate to as well. But it's you, we prefer. Well, no, I shouldn't say we prefer. We need members, and we want as many people to join, regardless of the amount of money that they can. Uh, support us with if they don't have income at this time or uh, mad money just please sign up we uh, we want your names we want to continue to uh, communicate with uh, people that uh, are interested in promoting and, and uh, preserving the QAnon and certainly so want to go, go ahead go ahead well, I was just going to say that, as Jim said, the names are the most important. The member people that want to be members, whether they have any resources or not, we have members that tell us they can't afford to spend any money right now because of the hardships of the current COVID situation, but they still join. And we have some people that are on fixed income. Maybe they send us, you know, $5 or $20. That's great. Anything is great. And Anybody and their whole family and all their friends, they're all welcome to join. So we're asking you to join first, donate if you can, and then if you have more friends, tell them. And I want to reemphasize that this is such a broad-based organization when we've talked about 
things like this on the program in the past. It's been about just snowmobile trails or just ORV trails or just this or just that. This is an organization that is for hunters and fishers, um, ATV users, snowmobile users, mountain bikers, uh, boating, canoeing, kayaking. Anybody who uses the outdoors is going to hopefully see some benefit from your efforts, right? That's correct. So so people can go to the website and they can sign up. Where do you see this going, uh, Jim and Gina, over the next, say, five to ten years? Because if you're going to be that broad-based, at some point you're going to have to divert projects into basically all of those areas. Is that going to be a challenge to do something for the hunters and the fishers and something for the ATV folks and something for the snowmobilers and something for the mountain bikers and something for the cross-country skiers and such uh, with just one organization? I don't, that, that's not going to be an issue because we're looking at obtaining the land and helping um, manage the land. And these, the user groups out there, the club is going to maintain their membership to support the, the ATV uh, trails. Same with the snowmobile club, same with the, uh, the mountain bike. Uh, so, so, and I agree with what Jim just said, but to add to that, we are right now working on the sweat equity of a whole bunch of volunteers but as we grow, we need to kind of create permanent positions for people and we need to have managers because the more complicated it gets, the more you need dedicated staff and, and we're, we're planning toward that. But we're also planning on continuing to use all of the local partners, the local business people that we can. And we're already working with multiple firms that are, say, involved in construction or trail building, and we're paying those people. So, like, Jim and I right now are kind of, like, volunteering and doing as much work as we can. But when we hire a contractor to build a road or we order, you know, the trash and recycling um, units, we're paying people. And so I see this as being an organization with a management structure of employees someday, but yet still using and subcontractors and local businesses to do a lot of the specific activities, manage campgrounds, repair trails, repair roads, pick up the trash, hiring people to maintain the facilities, be greeters at campgrounds, a whole bunch of things that are out there in the future. But I think right now what we're trying to do is demonstrate we're for real, get as many members as we can, help the state get the grants that they need. And then from there, you know, we'll build the organization into a, a more robust organization. But, you know, anytime you're bootstrapping, you got to start and just get some basic things done first. Well, and it is started. It is the Keweena Outdoor Recreation Coalition. Uh, if you'd like to become a member, again, what is the website again, Jim? KeweenaOutdoorRecreation.org. We all know how important our outdoor resources are to the economy and to our own enjoyment here in the Copper Country. So uh, thank you so much, Jim Vivian, the Executive Director of the Keweena Outdoor uh, Recreation Coalition, Gina Nicholas, the President of the organization. Thank you for your time on Copper Country today. Keep me posted as to how you're doing and best wishes to you and your group. Thank you, Todd. Portage Health Foundation is a proud sponsor of Copper Country Today. This legendary weekly radio program has gone on for decades and has helped listeners dive into important issues here in Michigan's Keweenaw Peninsula. Now, more than ever, we need this kind of in-depth local storytelling in our world. That's why we're happy to help take it to the next level by sponsoring the radio show's debut as a podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Simply search Copper Country Today. Learn more about Portage Health Foundation by visiting phfgive.org. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today on this Sunday morning. Before we get into our topic, I do want to remind you that the primary election 
is coming up just a couple of days from now on Tuesday as we air this on Sunday morning. We encourage you to vote. You can do that in person if you haven't already done it by absentee or mail. There are contested elections in the various Republican and Democratic primaries. There are also a lot of issues on the ballot, some millage issues. There's the request in Holton, the advisory request regarding the waterfront redevelopment project. So please take advantage of your opportunity to vote. If you missed any of the interviews that we did with candidates in contested races, the Democrats in the U.S. Congress race, the Democrats running in the state 110th House race, the Republican candidates for sheriff in Houghton and Baraga counties. You can find them archived on our website at QAnRReport.com. Make sure that you cast a vote that is educated, and above all, make sure that you cast your vote. And once you have cast your vote, make sure that you listen for election results. Tuesday night on our station 97.7 The Wolf, we'll have complete election coverage for Houghton, Keweenaw, Barraga, and Ontonagon counties. Jim Cusick, our news director, will be anchoring that with help from Tony Peasy and Glenn Anderson. And we'll also be posting results as we get them from the local county clerks on our website at KeweenawReport.com. Complete election coverage brought to you by the Copper Country Education Association and by the Portage Lake District Library. We bring in a couple of folks from Dial Help this morning to fill us in on a couple of programs that they have going on there. I welcome Virginia Lambert, who is the Victims of Crime Coordinator, and I welcome Paige Setter-Hallwax, who is the Sexual Assault Services Coordinator and also the Volunteer and Training Coordinator. Good morning to both of you. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for having us. It's one of the great luxuries, I suppose, that we have living in the Keweenaw, one of the great contributors to our quality of life, Virginia, that we don't have a lot of crime here. We don't, it's been years since we've had a murder. We don't have a lot of serious assaults that we are aware of, not a lot of terrible crime. But that doesn't mean that people don't become victims of crime, does it? Correct. Yep. And that's very true. Um, we do see a lot of crime victims that come through, and I know a lot of um, victims have not come forward. Um, not everything's overly publicized. Uh, we see a lot of stalking and harassment, um, elder abuse, identity theft. These are all under-publicized type of issues that do happen in our area quite often, and they're just not talked about that often. Um, of course, murders would be like a high news type of thing, but something like somebody's identity getting stolen isn't always that talked about. Well, we don't think about that too often, and even if we don't have necessarily a lot of it and if it's not highly publicized, when it happens to you, it can hit you really hard, can't it? It sure can, and most of the time people don't even know where to turn. Um, they might be able to file a police report, or they might not be comfortable going in by themselves to file a police report. So that's where our advocates come in and are able to really help out in that situation. Um, we're able to help them find out what their crime victim rights are and what steps they can take so that they can be further assisted in the whole process right from the get-go. Of course, when we think about dial help, the first thing most people think of is the 24-hour helpline that people can call if they're struggling, if they're thinking of uh, potentially harming themselves, if they don't know where to turn, that always exists. Uh, are there fewer people perhaps who know about this service that you offer, the Victims of Crime Service? I do believe so. It's, it's, um, we've had the VOCA program for about 30 years, but um, and the sexual assault program has been really strong for a really long time. But because Dial Help has such a strong crisis hotline, um, that's normally the first thing that people do think of, which is why we're trying to get out there and kind of give people a little bit more information on what services we offer, including the crisis line, which is always going to keep going. Um, and they can call the crisis line, and that's how they could get support through the victim service programs, too. Paige, of the victims of crime that you assist, how many of them come in because of some type of sexual assault? You know, I don't know the exact numbers off my head, the top of my head, um, but we do see a good number of sexual assault. Um, like Virginia said, we've had this program for a long time, and we also help run the SANE program through the hospitals up here. Um, and SANE's are sexual assault nurse examiners. Um, so they're just a special kind of nurse that um, collects forensic evidence. Now, I know that 
victims of sexual assault are perhaps among the most least likely to want to pursue charges, to report a matter to police, that kind of thing. Does someone have to go through with a police report to take advantage of the services that you offer afterward? No, they do not. And also, they would still be able to get a SANE exam at the hospital if it's within five days of the assault. Um, They wouldn't have to report to police at that time. The SANE kit can be held at the hospital for up to a year. Um, So I guess a shorter answer is yes, anyone can utilize our services. Uh, They don't have to talk to the police if they don't want to. Do most of your referrals, uh, uh, Virginia and Paige, do most of them come in from local police departments and police officers who have told people that you exist, they've already been notified that there's a crime? Or are there a number of people who approach you just indirectly? Really, I think we get referrals both ways. Um, We do have some good partnerships with some of our local police departments. But um, people do call the hotline and they'll start describing what's going on in their life and why they're feeling down. And then our um, crisis line specialists are able to refer them to our programs. Um, One thing I do want to make sure I mention is that we don't just service people who are currently a victim of a crime. We offer all of our services for anyone who has been a victim of a crime. So if you were sexually assaulted as a child 20 years ago, you are still able to qualify for our services like the free counseling. That's a good point. And what area do you cover with these services? Uh, we cover Ontonagon County, Barraga County, Keweenaw County, and Houghton County. Is there any charge to the public? No. All of our services through Dial Help are completely free. So somebody gives you a call, Virginia, and they say, my home was broken into, my stuff was taken, my place is a mess, I feel violated. Mm-hmm. What are they going to go through and what services can you then provide for them? Um, right, off, right from the beginning, we're able to offer our advocacy. So if they want to go file a police report, our advocate can meet them at the police station and be there with them through the whole process. We can help them go through what the, the proceeding steps are for a criminal case like that. Um, we're able to offer just some kind of specific assistance stuff to help them get their life back together. Um, it's all dependent on whatever things that are missing. Um, We could try doing crime victim compensation, um, which is a program through the state to get, or through the federal government, to get money back um, to reclaim some of their losses, or if, like, someone was murdered, it helps um, pay for funeral costs or that type of thing. So, you know, it all is really dependent on each case, but we're here to help walk them through each step of the way. Um, We do respond to the hospitals. We respond to the police stations. Um, and people are welcome to give us a call and we'll meet one-on-one with them. So whichever way the person feels most comfortable, um, we meet them where they're at and we help, help them get back on track. Um, we do offer the free counseling with um, one of our certified counselors, licensed counselors. So uh, that's always a benefit, you know, once we get them on their feet and have some kind of plan set up with them um, to be able to continue with one of our counselors and to try to just get some kind of normalcy back in the, into their lives. Do you follow that person then all the way through the legal process if there's a trial, if there's a, a, a judgment at some point? Absolutely, yep. We, we stay with them the, the entire way. Um, as long as they want us, we'll be there for them. I am fortunate in that I've never been the victim of a serious crime. I've never been the victim of an assault. Tell me what kind of things people experience when they have been victimized in this way. What kind of feelings, what kind of situations do you typically encounter? Well, oftentimes people feel just completely violated and there's a lot of shock and um, confusion because they just don't know what to do next. Oftentimes your first thought is, wow, this happened to me, and they don't know what the next step is. And that's where our advocates are really helpful because we're able to step in and help them kind of sort through, well, what do you want to see happen? Um, and kind of calm down their, their mental process because your mind's racing. You're trying to figure out what's going on, what's, what happened, why did this happen? Um, so just our advocates are able to just calm them down, talk to them, and help them figure out what's the best method for them, what, what they want to see happen. Um, we're very... Um, person-centered, so we really put it into their hands to make the best decisions for themselves. 
So whatever their emotions that they're going through, we work with that and we work through that and help them make their decisions for themselves. And Paige, I, I can't imagine uh, that perhaps, uh, I, I just have no way to relate what people have gone through if they have been sexually assaulted. What kind of things do you typically see? What kind of feelings do they typically bring into your program? You know, it, it kind of varies across the board. Not one person is the same. Um, you know, one thing I have heard is people say, you know, it's a small town. I don't want anyone to know. Um, but kind of what Virginia went on with the confusion of why did this happen to me? Um, you know, you can get the statistics from rain.org and, you know, 80% of sexual assaults are committed by somebody that the person knows. Um, so those are kind of hard because most of the time if the person knows the person, they thought, you know, it was a harmless person. Um, but sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent there. No, that's, that's quite all right. Uh, I'm learning here because it's, like I say, that's something that I've never been a been associated with. And, and, and it's important, I think, for all of us to understand what those victims go through, because we don't want to be, we don't want to be those community members who make them feel like they should be afraid to face what's happened. Yeah, no, that's really how we want to see our community. Um, survivors need support. Um, we do actually run a support group through Dial Health as well, Peel. Um, Typically, we just craft and um, we talk, and it's just a nice, safe space to be. Um, so there's always a place. Um, if survivors need us, we're always here, um, and we will help with their healing in any way we possibly can. Do you deal also, Paige, with children who are sexual assault victims? We are actually in the process of opening up a child advocacy center, um, and that will specialize in um, children of sexual abuse or severe physical abuse. Um, so there will be special advocates um, and a, a different protocol um, if they're going through the criminal justice system, too. I'm talking with Virginia Lambert, who is the Victims of Crime Coordinator for Dial Help, and with Paige Setter-Hallwax, who is the Sexual Assault Services Coordinator and also the Volunteer and Training Coordinator for Dial Help. I understand also, Paige, that you have some programs that you offer on occasion to help perhaps women in particular to avoid becoming victims of assault. Um, well, we do offer some um Programs to the schools and stuff, um, Finlandia and Michigan Tech have had us come in and meet with their residents' assistants, um, and we, we do some sexual assault um, informational sessions with them um, to help them if any of their students come in and had been assaulted, um, so they know what to do, how to guide them, and um, it, like stuff, if you're a, a young freshman maybe coming into school, you might not realize that if you were sexually assaulted, if you were drinking, that doesn't matter. You can still report the assault. You're not going to get in trouble for the drinking part. Um, so there's little things like that that we go over with that group. Okay. Um, we are aware, because you've been running some announcements on the radio stations, that you need some assistance with some of the programs at Dial Help. Paige, uh, you're the volunteer and training coordinator. What kind of help do you need? You know, we are always looking for volunteers for our crisis line. Um, and, you know, the crisis line training, or there is training for the crisis line. Uh, we never put anyone on the crisis line if they're not comfortable. Um, so there's like a 30-hour classroom training for that, along with 30-plus um, hours of shadowing as well. Um, we're also always looking for volunteers for our community of that care. Um, Dial Help is also always looking for sexual assault nurse examiners or SANES. Um, we can pay for the SANE nurse entire certification, um, and it's also paid on call time as well. So if anyone's ever interested in any of those, please um, give us a call. Yeah, how, do, how does somebody sign up? Is there any previous education that, uh, or experience that might be helpful in qualifying to help out with dial help? You know, people can come from all walks of life. Um, I wouldn't say that there's one characteristic trait we're necessarily looking for. Um, if you go to our website, dialhealth.org, there is a tab for volunteers. Um, you can either fill out an application online um, or, you know, you could just call. Um, we also have an email, uh, volunteer at dialhealth.org, if you want to reach us that way as well. Do you deal with uh, domestic violence issues? 
We do, but we are not the specialists in that area. Our Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter and um, the Barraga Women's Shelter are the specialists in that area, but there are times that the person might not be able to go to their, um, maybe one of their family members works there or something. And in those cases, we, we definitely are willing to pitch in and help out. So we're often a referral source, and if they come through us, we, we refer them over to them if, they, if we can. Are there other services that you have available that you can refer crime victims to? Um, we often refer to, like, legal aid if that's appropriate. Um, we definitely are always looking to make appropriate referrals. If someone's been sexually assaulted and they need follow-up care, maybe we'll be referring them to the health department for further um, sexual... Um, Transmitted disease tests. Um, they are free through the health department. I believe they go on a sliding scale. Um, and you can call the health department and uh, make an appointment ahead of time. Yeah, because a lot of people who are victims, I assume, are perhaps low income to begin with, and then perhaps if they've had assets taken away from them, they're even lower income. Should cost about dealing with anything stop somebody from taking action to try to deal with the after effects of violence or, or crime? Um, that is something we can help with for specific instances. Um, we do have specific assistance available. Um, you know, also, too, sometimes people want to go to someplace maybe like the health department instead because they don't want to go see their family doctor. Um, but still, price is, if price is a concern, please come talk to us. Um, we just want to make sure you're happy and healthy. How do we, as we look forward with this, how do we change that attitude that worries so many people, the attitude that they are going to be judged harshly, that they may even be blamed for being the victim of a crime or the victim of assault. How do we turn that around so that our communities become more visibly, more obviously supportive? One of the best things that we can do is just keep talking about it and making it so that um, they know that there's support out there and that they are going to be believed and treated with respect. Um, as community members, it's so important that we're not judging and being like, well, yeah, she deserved to get raped because she was out drinking last night. Um, rape doesn't happen because someone's drinking. Rape happens because someone chose to hurt somebody else. So we really need to be um, not victim blaming anymore. We need to change that whole dialogue and start supporting the people who are, have been hurt and um, criminalizing people that are criminals and are doing the hurt. So yeah, I appreciate you talking to us about this. And the more we can talk about it, I think the less it's going to be stigmatized. I hope so, because people who are victims deserve our support and they deserve to have all the help that we can provide them because they, if you're a victim, it's not your fault. You shouldn't be the one who has to suffer. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's exactly what um, people need to hear. Uh, thank you. You mentioned the, the drinking situation, which unfortunately, uh, drinking and drugs precipitate a number of uh, crimes, particularly sexual assault. Is it something that we need to look at as a society to say that, hey, uh, obviously, you should never be the victim of an assault. You should never be the victim of a rape or a sexual assault. But there are t situations that you might want to avoid. Now, one of the main things that um, Virginia and I really, I guess, sorry, I'm speaking for you, Virginia, but we like to focus on teaching consent. Because, um, you know, someone going out drinking shouldn't have to worry about being sexually assaulted because their drinking isn't the cause of the sexual assault. It's the person who decided to perpetrate. Um, but one of the things um, we do like to teach about consent, um, if anyone is by their Google right now, they should look up the fries from um, Planned Parenthood. It's a wonderful little graphic about consent, and, you know, we all love French fries. Well, we all love French fries. <laughs> <laughs> I consent to them much too often, I'll confess. 
<laughs> so, so uh, as we're getting towards the end of the segment here, I want to kind of recap a few things. I'm talking with Virginia Lambert, who is the Victims of Crime Coordinator for Dial Help and their Victim Services uh, service that they offer, and with Paige Setter Hallwachs, who is the Sexual Assault Services Coordinator and the Volunteer and Training Coordinator. Again, if you have been the victim of a crime, if you have been the victim of an assault or a particularly a sexual assault, how do you open up that dialogue with Dial Help and get the help that you need? Um, they can always reach out to us at our 24-hour crisis hotline, or you can text or instant message us. Um, those are both acceptable ways. Um, if you do decide to go up to the hospital, you can ask for an advocate, and the hospital will give us a call right away. Um, what, do you know what her where is? Oh. So, yes, our crisis line number, um, I'm going to give the local one out, is 906-482-4357. And you'd also be able to text 35NEEDS, which would be 906-356-3337. I do want to put a little plug in there for the text line. Um, I think it's a really wonderful thing, especially with the younger kids, Um, or even just if you want a little privacy, you can talk to our text line and... You know, you'd be in a room full of people and no one would know. I was going to ask you about that because I know you rolled that out a few years ago now. How is that working and has it opened up new people, uh, opportunities for people to, to touch base with you who might feel uncomfortable with a voice conversation? Yeah, you know, I really think it has. Um, you know, I've worked on the crisis line a few times and I had a few overnights where... Um, Really, the only thing I was doing on overnights was talking to younger people, you know, younger college students, younger teenagers, uh, because they didn't feel comfortable being on the phone. And younger people tend to be very text-oriented. I'm old. I tend not to be text-oriented. <laughs> but uh, but that, uh, I know at the time, was cited as one of the reasons that you opened that up, because you wanted to open uh, your services up to more people. And I'm glad to hear that it's working out well for you. And I, I'm, I'm glad that that has been added as, as part of what you do. Who pays for all that you do? Somebody has to pay for all this. Uh, you know, we are funded by multiple grants, community members, um, donations, uh, nonprofits. Yeah, there's uh, money coming from different places. All right. So I think that we'll wrap this up at this point. And again, thank you to Virginia Lambert, the Victims of Crime Coordinator, Paige Sutter Hallwachs, the Sexual Assault Services Coordinator and Volunteer and Training Coordinator with Dial Help. And I'll wrap it up with this. If you have been a victim of crime, if you have been assaulted, if you have been sexually assaulted, please don't keep it to yourself. There's help available. There are people who will help you get back moving on your feet, push your life forward one step at a time. Don't be afraid to call and ask for it. Thank you both. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, thank you so much for having us and for your time. Our program is brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation, and our ongoing series about addiction in the Copper Country continues now. The medical community is consistently doing its best to serve those suffering from addiction. I'm Sarah Blakely, your host for the Portage Health Foundation Addiction Series. In this episode, we'll hear from Dr. Adam Frimedig from UP Health System about what medical treatments are available to help those who are suffering from addiction. With alcohol and benzodiazepines being deadly, we need to wean them down appropriately using medication. Um, ideally, if somebody could say, I'm going to drink one less shot every day for the next three weeks and then I'm going to be done, that would work too, but it doesn't work that way with addiction. So we give them medications to um, substitute the alcohol and they can withdraw safely over a period of three to five days. In the setting of opioid abuse, there is no way to completely alleviate the symptoms, which range anywhere from um, gastrointestinal symptoms, so diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, um, muscle cramps, fevers, chills. And what we're doing then is symptomatically treating these so that yes, you're still going to have withdrawals, you're not going to feel great, but we can make you feel less bad so that it's a little bit easier to get through. And then when you're done, you're done. You never have to go through it again if you can remain sober at that point. So that's the first thing to get somebody in to one, realize if they need medical attention to do it safely, and two, to help people out to get through that time in their life. After that, 
the role of an addictionologist is one, to identify if there's underlying conditions such as anxiety or depression, which substance use alone can cause that, but there may be you know, already depression prior to substance use that we need to treat because they are actually just self-treating with whatever um, medication or drug or alcohol that they were using at the time. So underlying, identifying underlying conditions, um, doing a health survey to see is liver working well, kidneys working well, anything else that we have to address that might be an issue. And the other is to do something called MAT therapy or medical assisted treatment for helping. So there's medications that will block alcohol and opioid receptors so that if somebody were to have a relapse, because relapse is part of this disease. Every time I see somebody, I hope and plan that they're never gonna use again, but by a pure numbers game and knowing this disease, a lot of people are. But what we can do is we can have a blocker for that switch in the middle of that brain. So if they have that moment where they don't care and they pick up a beer or they go and take a pain pill, that switch doesn't turn on and they're not back in that cycle. And they can call their addictionist, they can call their counselor, they can go to an AARNA meeting, whoever, whatever their safety network that they set up is, they can go back and work that without getting stuck in that cycle again. And there's a lot of other medical assisted treatments, um, but those are the ones that I tend to stick with. Thanks to Dr. Frimadig for sharing your insight and for being an advocate for those suffering from addiction. While medical treatments help, it's still important to understand the devastating effects that addiction has on our community. In episode eight, we'll talk about those effects with three care providers in Michigan's Keweenaw Peninsula. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, know that there are resources available in our community. Dial Help is a great place to start. They have a crisis line 24 hours a day, seven days a week, based right here in the Copper Country. Just dial 906-482-HELP, text 906-35-NEEDS, or chat live with someone at dialhelp.org. If you're in any kind of medical emergency, dial 911 immediately. To learn more about the resources available in our community or to subscribe for email alerts for future episodes, just visit phfgive.org addiction. When our community is in need, the Portage Health Foundation is here to answer the call. In 2018, we were here on the front lines helping homeowners get their lives back. And now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're right here with the many nonprofits who help serve our community. We've provided funding to Senior Meals, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, and 31 Backpacks. We launched a Wi-Fi hotspot network to help families stay connected, and we have much more planned. If you want to donate to help our community's recovery, visit phfgive.org slash COVID-19 or call 523-5920. I hope you enjoyed this morning's Copper Country Today. Thanks again to our guests from the Keweenaw Outdoor Recreation Coalition and the Victim Services Program at Dial Help. Remember, the primary election is Tuesday. If you missed any of our interviews with candidates in contested races, you will find them archived on our website at keweenawreport.com. Our series on addiction in the Keweenaw, of course, will continue next Sunday. Copper Country Today is heard each Sunday morning at 7 on 97.7 The Wolf, 8 on 99.3 The Lift, and 9 on KBEAR 102. You can also listen to our podcast at keweenawreport.com, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and a number of other streaming platforms. Copper Country Today is a copyrighted public affairs production of Houghton Community Broadcasting. It's brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation at phfgive.org.